On June 28th, 2006, Barack Obama said these words, Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. He was implying that a Christian nation is one only filled with Christians, but by that standard, no nation has ever been truly Christian. And I get it. He was campaigning and playing fast and loose with history, but it makes you think. What is a Christian nation, and should we be one? Recently, I did a debate stage event on the Discord politics server, and this is what we discussed. This is Worldview Legacy, the podcast from the Think Institute that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedeckes. I'm a Bible teacher and former pastor who used to defend my faith the wrong way until God changed my attitude and my approach. Now, I help Christians to share their faith confidently and answer the world's questions about it. Today, we're going to answer the question, should the United States of America be a Christian nation? Now, to build a legacy for your family where you and your kids and your wife can answer the world's questions confidently, you have to be ready to answer questions about religion and politics. Both of those merge in this topic. So here's how that Discord debate stage worked. I gave a 15-minute opening statement. Then participants stepped up and raised challenges or asked questions. My friend who's an admin on the Discord politics server, he goes by the name of Ellipsis, he hosted and moderated the debate along with another guy named Geo. So if you're aware of the recent chatter about Christian nationalism or you've thought about whether or not America should be a Christian nation, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. And if you want a way to defend the biblical principles that provide the best foundation for society, this episode is going to help. After my opening statement, I respond to the seven different debate challengers who raised the following challenges. Would a Christian nation violate basic rights? Did we really even used to be a Christian nation? Can Christianity actually take credit for civilizational advancements and moral teachings? Is Sharia law superior to biblical Christianity? In a Christian nation, how much force could Christians use? Would it be better if the state were seen as supreme instead of God? Why isn't atheism a better foundation than Christianity? How would we reconcile all of the various Christian denominations and does the Bible actually teach the principles of a constitutional republic? When we get to that question, I'm going to recommend a book for you as well. Now, if you like this, then you need to know about our free community. With 700 members now on the same journey as you, we share ideas and get biblical answers to the world's questions about the Christian faith. It's called the Think Squad, and I'll tell you more about that group and how to join at the end of this show. Now. Let's start the debate. First of all, this is an important subject. Should America be a Christian nation? And it, part of it is, in, part of the reason why it's important is because of the image that it invokes in people's minds right from the get-go. You tell someone America should be a Christian nation, and some people think of this foreign system of laws brewed up by some weird cult in the Kentucky backwoods descending over the United States like a cage, 
in order to take away freedoms in prison women and take away everybody's rights. But that's not what I mean by a Christian nation. And really, that wouldn't be much of a Christian nation at all. It would be a very unchristian nation. And that's not what the phrase Christian nation has meant historically. And yes, America has been a Christian nation in the past. So what we're talking about is not something totally new under the sun. This is something that's been done before. But when we are talking about different types of nations, kinds of nations, it's really important to ask yourself, what makes up a nation? Is it the people? Is it the laws? Is it the customs and culture? Is it ethnicity? And when America was founded by Puritans and pilgrims back in the 1600s, Christians, all those things factored in. All those different factors were elements in what made a nation. But of course, over the last 400 years, 230 of which, 250 of which almost, we've actually been a nation under the Constitution. Those things have changed and they've developed over time. Some say for the better, some say for the worst, some aren't quite sure. But it's important to remember when we're talking about types of nations that we're really, I'll tell you what, Winston Churchill had this great quote back in the World War II era. Here's what he said. He said, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. And that's a humorous quote, but it's good to keep in mind that we're never examining ideas like this in a vacuum. The question is always about alternatives. If not this, then what? If not Christianity, then something else. But what should that something else be? Is there really a neutral option? I'm sure we're going to dive deeper into that as the debate goes on. But let me see if I can try to define what I mean by Christian nation. And it's a little tricky. It's tricky because people define it in all different kinds of ways. But a Christian nation, for starters, it's important to remember this. A Christian na nation does not mean we all dress the same way, doesn't mean that we all go to church in the same place, or even that we are all Christians. It does not take away freedom of choice. It does not take away freedom of conscience. It does not take away natural liberties. As a matter of fact, all those things would be heightened and unshackled. And let me also say that it's not easy to put into practice, a Christian nation is not easy to put into practice perfectly. And the reason why, as I'm sure someone's going to point out tonight, Christians disagree on what a Christian nation would look like. We have different interpretations of different aspects of the Bible, aspects of scripture. The difference, or I should say the unifying principle between Christians is that all Christians believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. In other words, we are unified in the gospel. Where do we learn about the gospel? The gospel is found in the Bible. So although working out what a Christian nation looks like would take decades, just as it did the first time, a Christian nation is one in, in which the touchstone for the different spheres of authority would be the Bible itself. Old and New Testament, emphasis on New Testament, centered in the heart and soul of the Bible, which is Jesus Christ. So a Christian nation would be one in which there are various interconnected but separately sovereign spheres of authority, namely the civil government, the church slash religion, the family, and the sovereign individual. And these spheres all self-consciously draw their legitimacy, their governing principles, and their ongoing relevance from the principles found in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Now, 
when we're talking about Christianity, we're not just talking about a set of doctrines as if we're talking about like Stoicism or even Buddhism. Christianity is rooted in history and it's rooted in a man, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of the Christian faith. The Bible calls him the firstborn of creation and the son of God. So a Christian nation would be, would look like Christ. It would be based upon his teachings and it would be modeled on his character and it would be aimed at achieving his goals, the glory of God, the good of others, the liberation of the individual. So when we look at the life and character of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, we see a strong stance on truth, a clear delineation between right and wrong. We see anger over crime and oppression. We see great compassion on those who need it. We see truth. We see love, the kind of love that is self-sacrificing. In other words, we see the kind of attributes and elements that you could really build a civilization on. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly what Western civilization is. It's built upon Jesus Christ. And that's what the first Christian America was. So my big idea, my proposition is that America should be a Christian nation. And really there are three reasons why this is. One, Christianity is true. Now I know not everybody here agrees with that, but Christianity is rooted in historical facts, not just abstract principles. It's rooted in a story that is strong. It's the strongest story in the world. A story about God's plan from creation all the way to consummation, the beginning and end of history, in which we find our place like stars in the sky, is how the Bible describes it. It's a story about life emerging from death. It's a story about forgiveness of great wrongs. It's a story about love at the heart of reality. It, again, is the kind of stuff you can build a nation on. So one Christianity is true. Oh, Christianity also makes sense of the world. It's the only worldview that is perfectly coherent and that gives the an adequate basis and the only true basis for logic, morality, science, meaning, purpose, life after death, forgiveness, and unity and diversity, among other things. So the first reason why is that Christianity is true. If you're going to build a nation on anything, might as well make it on something true. The second reason is that Christianity is good. The principles found in the Bible, especially in the New Testament centered on Jesus Christ, provide the best possible basis for government. Christianity recognizes sphere sovereignty, which I talked about a little bit earlier, and it recognizes that there is a supreme authority above the state. The state is not God and does not have ultimate authority over your life. You are not a slave of the state, neither am I. No citizen is. This is a vital fact for preserving freedom and preventing tyranny. And third reason, so Christianity is true, Christianity is good, and the third reason is that Christianity is beautiful. Christianity produces good societies. Now, these, there have been many Christian nations in the past, and the expression of that Christian culture, um, culture is a word that is derived from the Latin cultus, which means worship. Culture is downstream from cultus or worship. And where you've had Christian worship at the heart of a society, it's been expressed in culturally in different ways, but the results are overwhelmingly positive. I'll give you some examples. Ireland had been ruled pre-Christian, pre-Christian Ireland had been ruled by the evil pagan druids who used to rule by fear and human sacrifice. They were civilized and they were liberated when Christianity came to Ireland. This is why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day today. England was barbaric. They were pagan barbarians acting in beastly ways towards each other, but they were civilized 
And now when we think about English culture, um, especially at its peak, we often think of one of the most civilized civilizations in the world. How did that happen? It became Christianized. Uh, England was the first nation to outlaw slavery, and the United States followed shortly thereafter. Uh, there's a good reason for that. They were a Christian nation. The Nordic countries that so many on the socialist end of the spectrum love to emulate, never forget, they used to be raping, pillaging Vikings. Then what happened? They became Christianized. Russia didn't used to have literacy or an alphabet. And then St. Cyril went there and developed the Cyrillic alphabet. In fact, all over the world, literacy and language and education and universities have sprouted up and grown almost out of whole cloth when Christian missionaries have gone into a place. Why? Because they brought the Bible, they brought Christianity, and Christianity is a religion of the book. So Christianity is responsible for major advances in world literacy. In fact, even the printing press is a result of, Christian, of Johannes Gutenberg, who was a Christian. He, the first thing he printed was Bibles. Christianity and Christian principles and Christians are responsible for the scientific revolution. Tycho Brahe, Kepler, Isaac Newton, these were self-professed Christians. They were Christians first, men of God first, and then scientists second. Christianity is responsible for the abolition of slavery in the Western world twice, first during the medieval period, and then once again in more modern times, in the 1800s. Christianity has produced magnificent art and architecture, and we only, all you need to do is tour an old cathedral or castle to see examples of that. And let me give you one more example of the civilizing effect of Christianity. Many people have heard of Julius Caesar, but one thing that people may not be aware of is that Julius Caesar during the Gallic Wars, I believe it was, went into Gaul, modern day France, and slaughtered one million Gauls. He came back home and was hailed as a hero. Now, historian Tom Holland points this out in his book, Dominion. Can you even imagine a global leader anywhere near the scope of Julius Caesar going into a sovereign nation like that and slaughtering a million people and then coming home and being hailed as a hero? Maybe you can't imagine it. We view those people as our biggest villains of modern history. What changed? Why don't we hail that as heroic anymore? What happened between Julius Caesar and our modern times? Jesus Christ happened, Christianity happened, and the West was Christianized. I believe that's, that would suffice to make a positive case for the fact that Christianity is a wonderful basis for the United States of America. We should be a Christian nation. Before I wrap this up, though, let me just make a couple of clarifications. A Christian nation, making America a Christian nation does not mean we are forcing people to become Christians. As a matter of fact, you can't force someone to be a Christian. You can't force someone to believe in their heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead or to confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. You can force a confession, but it wouldn't be a real one. You actually can't. No one is born a Christian and no one can be forced to be a Christian. In fact, freedom of religion and freedom of conscience, those are Christian principles that come straight out of the Bible. So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about forcing our beliefs on people. Something else to keep in mind is that there is no neutrality. It's not like if you reject Christianity as a basis, then we can just build on a neutral platform, the light of reason or something like that. In fact, we've seen what happens when nations have rejected Christianity and claimed to be, let's say, humanistically secular or secular humanist. The death counts of the 20th century under Nazism, radical Stalinist communism, 
the communism of Pol Pot. These were all secular governments. And so we see what happens when we abandon Christianity and turn it over to something supposedly neutral. But there is no neutrality in this world. Every worldview has a story. Every nation is based on a worldview. And so if not Christianity, then what? I'm sure not too many people are going to be advocating for Sharia law. Not too many are going to be advocating for radical Stalinism or Nazism. Why not? Now, if you want to promote and say that secular humanism would be the best option, I'm happy to talk with you about that. But let me just say I'm familiar with the Humanist Manifesto. And the best parts of the Humanist Manifesto are Christian principles. But the problem with the Humanist Manifesto is it's rooted in humanity, which is contingent, which is shifting, which is not absolute. And so really, that's another way of just saying that's my opinion. So in conclusion, the United States has been a Christian nation in the past. We were built on Christian principles by Christians. A Christian nation would not impose Christian belief on anybody, but it would govern the nation. It would see that the nation is governed according to Christian principles, and many of which we are already governed by, and we have been at our best. But the, to truly make a Christian nation, it's not something that can be imposed or superimposed on the nation. It must start from the ground up. It must start with the heart, and it must start with evangelism, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more people accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and find salvation and forgiveness in Him, the closer we will be to a Christian nation and the better off we will be. Thank you. All right, now the first challenge comes from a guy named Xerxes. And he asks, would making America a Christian nation actually mean returning to Old Testament law, which he views as violating fundamental rights? So we get into a great discussion about what I'm actually calling for and what actually are fundamental rights and where do they come from? Xerxes is also going to bring up his challenge that we never even used to be a Christian nation. He's going to appeal to a quote attributed to John Adams and He's going to challenge the idea that Christianity does produce excellent civilizational advancements and moral teachings, and we're going to really get into it. So he's going to make a number of challenges, and then I'm going to come back and respond. And then before I say my last piece, he's going to leave the debate stage. And uh, so I'll respond to him after he's gone. So listen in. So, yeah. I, I want to focus on some of the key points, right? So the debate is over whether or not American, America should be a Christian nation, right? And if you predicate your argument for that motion on the presupposition that Christianity is true, well, then, I mean, we're already in an impasse because I don't think Christianity is true and many other people don't think Christianity is true or we wouldn't want to operate under a government that treats it as though it is. Uh, one of the founding principles of this country is freedom of religion, freedom of expression freedom of speech, you know, these fundamental rights that the founding fathers in, in, enshrined into our constitution are in direct odds with almost everything in the Old Testament. I mean, the first amendment of the constitution blatantly contradicts the first four commandments of the Decalogue. So uh, right, right out of the gate, I mean, already America would not be America if it was a quote-unquote Christian nation by law or by culture. I don't really see any resemblance to either in that capacity. And should America be a Christian nation? Well, the word should there implies some sort of obligation, right? Some extant platonic realm of moral arts that commands certain states of affairs to be a particular way. Well, I can tell you this much, America is not a Christian nation. It hasn't been, nor will it ever be. And I can quote President of the United States, John Adams on that, 1789, Treaty of Tripoli, 
But I think that what ought to be the case is going to be subjective to each individual person's perspective. Now, you, Joel, individually, have a very unique perspective on what makes a nation Christian. I think that I could, I could probably find 20 Christians just in this server alone who vehemently disagree with you on what you think the parameters of a Christian nation are. In your opening statement, you mentioned certain, certain feats or social accomplishments that you thought were attributed to Christianity. But I hate to break it to you, Joel, Christianity has never accomplished anything. People who happen to believe in Christianity do accomplish things. They accomplish things all the time. And it could be because of their Christianity. It could be in spite of their Christianity. It could be a combination of the two. Who knows? But I can tell you this much. Things like the abolition of slavery were not due to Christian ideals because the Bible overtly endorses and condones slavery. They were due to ideals, moral inclinations, moral values that they got from somewhere other than the holy book, the sacred fables. So I, I don't think that operating our country predicated on antiquated mythology that people have not been able to verify uh, and is only taken on faith per the admission of the vast majority of people who believe in it is, a, is an incredibly unwise idea. Not to mention, you didn't even really provide any parameters by which the nation would be considered Christian as opposed to not Christian. Right? If we all have the freedom to do as we are presently doing, you know, free expression, free religion, free speech, that kind of stuff. How does that make it a Christian nation? What is the distinction between a Christian and a non-Christian nation? All right. Yeah, good question. So first of all, you mentioned that John Adams quote that was, after, that was at Tripoli. I've actually done some research into that, and I'm not sure how deeply you've looked into that, but it seems that, and I'm looking for the quotation, and it's, let's see. It's, the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Treaty of Tripoli, 1789, John Quincy Adams. Right, right, right. Thank you. Yeah, so, yeah, there's, oh, here we go. Okay. That that quote is not found in another translation of that speech in the Barlow translation. That does not exist at all. There is no Article 11 that's found in Article 11. The Arabic text, which is between Articles 10 and 12, is in form of a letter, crude and flamboyant, with all quite unimportant. Okay, so in other words, that's a very disputed quote. And even if, even if Adams did in fact say that, which again is disputed historically, but even if Adams did say that, what he was, what he was likely contrasting was that was the American form of Christian influence, religious influence versus the what is modern day Tripoli. But the, it was the Muslim form of influence on government, whereas Islamic governments are governed by Sharia law. The United States does not have a Sharia law. And it's interesting, Xerxes, that you mentioned the Old Testament. It's, I think that's interesting because I haven't been advocating for an Old Testament form of, of government. I haven't been advocating for a return to a form of government that was you put in place by there. God. One second, one second. That was put in place by God for the nation of Israel, which was a theocracy at a particular place in a particular time, which was not a Christian government. And so if you listened to what I said, the Old and New Testament, emphasis on the new centered in Jesus Christ. That's a really important distinction. And I did that intentionally because I knew that, I didn't know who, but I knew someone was going to try to make an argument against an Old Testament, an Old Covenantal theocratic system as outlined in the first five books of the Bible in the Torah, which is not what I'm advocating for. So the, the, I will say, I want to really affirm what you said when you, you mentioned these inherent rights, what was your exact, your exact, you mentioned inalienable rights or inherent rights. Do you remember the exact phrase that you used? 
Yeah, inalienable rights. I was parroting from the Declaration of Independence what the Founding Fathers believed when they enshrined these rights into our oh, Constitution. So that's that wonderful. They could not be infringed upon by the government. Yeah. And in the Declaration of Independence, who does it say those rights come from? Nature's creator, whatever that is. Well, endowed by our creator. No, right? nature's creator. It's, okay. it's intentionally vague in the Declaration of Independence. The word God is not mentioned at all. The word Jesus is never mentioned. The word Bible is never in, in there at all. Neither is it in any part of the Constitution. Quick note here, Xerxes is actually wrong. He said that the reference in the Declaration of Independence is to nature's creator. Actually, it's a reference to their creator talking about men, that men or people are endowed with certain unalienable rights and they get those rights from their creator. So quick side note, I don't know how much it would have changed, but I did want to throw that in there. Okay, there so in your mind- no religious sentiments whatsoever. At best, this is vaguely deistic. Okay, so the idea that we have, that we have inherent rights, do you understand that, that is a Christian principle? No, it's not. That's you don't bogus. Think that, you well, don't what think makes that's a principle a, Christian? The, the fact that? that certain Christians believe in that principle or that it exclusively comes from Christianity or that it originated with Christianity? Or because I can tell you, none of the above is true about inalienable rights. You, okay, so this might just be a time to do a Bible study, and I'm not sure whether or not you've read the Old Testament, the New Testament, but the idea of inalienable rights, or actually it's unalienable rights, goes back to Genesis 127, where it says that mankind is made in the image of God. And it's echoed again in Genesis 9 when Noah comes off the ark and God institutes the death penalty for, for murder. The reason why is because man is made in the image of God and man has the right to life. Now, if you fast forward to Exodus chapter 20, you find, you read the Decalogue and you attempted to pit the first four commands of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments against the idea of, the, of inherent rights. Wait, or wait, wait, rights. Well, one on. second, real quick. But, but actually, the Decalogue, one of the things that it says is, you shall not steal. Well, that's a right to property. And all throughout Scripture, you have it assumed and also taught explicitly that stealing is wrong, that mankind has dignity, that mankind has moral responsibility. These are all Christian principles. Now, you take the God of the Bible out of that picture, and you are left with your opinion versus mine. Our feet are firmly planted in midair. There is no inalienable right without the God who grants those rights, without nature's creator, without the God of Scripture. So you can posture and you can act as if you have issues with Scripture, but by your very words, you promote the kind of rights that the Bible says that you have. So you and I are I actually not so different here. It's just that you reject that the God that makes those rights possible. Repeat that. A chapter and a verse that says, in even the vaguest terms, that people have rights intrinsically. Not I Hebrew, just gave you two. Not men. I no, just no, gave no. you three. You said that we're made in the image of God. That says nothing about moral entitlements or rights. Okay, just because we're made in the image of God means literally nothing as far as it's concerned with what we're allowed to do and not do. Okay, a God is allowed to do plenty of things. He has the moral permission and license in your worldview to do whatever he pleases, but we're not. So obviously those moral entitlements, the you immorality said, and morality. You just said we're beings, not. You just said we're not. What do you mean that we're not allowed to do what? Christian world, human beings are not allowed to do many of the things that God is depicted as doing in the Old Testament. What is moral for God is not apparently what's moral for human beings, and therefore rights are moral. Oh, I see. Well, you're bringing in a that you're making respectfully, and I truly mean this with respect. You're making a category error. 
Oh, no, literally God, not. Well, yeah, well, I'm afraid you no, are. When God says you shall not, not murder, murder is, a, is an unlawful killing of an innocent person. It is impossible for God to murder. One, because God does not kill unjustly. And two, the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners. And three, God is the author, and therefore he exercises authority. Now, this is spelled out in Romans 9, which you should really read sometime. You'll see in Romans 9 that, that God is the potter and we are the clay. Now, if you want to talk about rights, uh, rights and responsibilities are never separated in the Bible. I want to respond to a lot of the things you said, Joel, because most of them were in between absolute and a complete and total misrepresentation of the facts. Morals like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, those predate Christianity by thousands upon thousands of years. And they, in fact, they predate Judaism by that much as well. They exist in Yahidi cultures, Zoroastrianism, Egyptian culture, Sumerians, under Hammurabi, in the Hammurabi Codex. These are the principles upon which a society are built because these are the most conducive behaviors for a happy, healthy, cooperative, flourishing community. Not because they are handed down by a god, it's just that if people want to work together, well, we have to work together. We can't victimize one another wantonly. But the first four commandments of the Decalogue, which I specified and you blatantly ignored, are, and I quote, you shall have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All four of those commandments are directly and expressly violated by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, which is that we have the right to say whatever we want, worship whoever we want, treat how what day however we want, and paint or draw or sculpt whatever we want. None of that is even remotely Christian. It comes from neither the New nor the Old Testament. These beliefs, these intrinsic values that people of antiquity had, that they thought that they had some inalienable rights, whether or not you think that comes from God or some other facet of nature or just the human psyche and experience itself, the point of the matter is that a Christian value doesn't exist. And everything comes from a variety of other cultures and was borrowed by the Christians and then subjectively monopolized. Which of those are you promoting, Xerxes? What am I? What am I promoting? What do you mean? Uh, which alternative to Christianity? You mentioned Zoroastrianism. Are you a Zoro- Zoroastrian? I'm not promoting any of these as alternatives. I'm pointing out to you that the concept of the Christian ah, nation is meaningless, and therefore the America should not be a Christian nation. Okay, so because there's a principle found in Christianity that's also taught by another religion, which you don't believe in either, you see that as somehow meaning the Christianity that the principle is null and void when it's found in Christianity. Or what's your point? So Xerxes was asking for chapter and verse. There, there are a number of verses that I, was, I would have gotten to, but rights and responsibilities always go hand in hand. And the idea of in, unalienable intrinsic human rights is absolutely rooted in the Imago Dei, the image of God. Remember, we're talking about alternatives. So if you say not Christianity, then there needs to be another worldview. Now, if Xerxes were promoting Zoroastrianism, we could talk about some of, you know, whether or not Zoroastrianism is a cohesive worldview that actually hangs together. Christianity is. So if the foundation for Zoroastrianism naturally gives rise to those natural rights, those inherent rights, and there's no contradiction in that worldview, well, then we might have a good competition or competitor for Christianity. But that's not what we heard. It's actually saying that's a great principle that's found in Christianity. In fact, it's found universally in other religions. So that's not an argument against Christianity. It's actually tacitly an argument in favor of it. All right, the next challenger steps up and actually does something I didn't think anybody was going to do, which is to try to make a positive case for Islamic Sharia law. 
And that's going to lead us inevitably into a really good conversation about the nature of God and whether or not the Islamic concept of God as a monad or a Unitarian God can actually support the elements that make a society a good thing, like love and diversity and justice. Why should, uh, why should America not be ran under Sharia law? Sorry, not be what? Ran under Sharia law. Oh, under Sharia law? Yeah, what's the difference between that and why is, your, why is yours better? Do you, do you think that Sharia law should be the law of the land? Obviously. Okay, why? Because it's God's law. Okay, what do you mean by that? It was law given to us by God. What do you mean? Okay, how do you know that? Because it's based on the scriptures of Islam and the Quran. What are you talking about? This is just blatantly self-evident. How so? How is it self-evident? I just know it to be true. Because without it, you can't have truth. Okay, can you flesh that out for me? Yeah, so without, without a law, as well as the Islamic verses, you cannot have truth, because all truth will lead to some sort of contradiction within terms. All truth will lead to contradiction in terms? Is that what you meant to say? Unless you have the Quran. All right. And why is that? I'm still, I'm not seeing that. It's just, that. it's just a process of elimination. We look at all these other worldviews and we see they fail. So and the only way to solve this is through a law. It's just self-evident. Okay. So, so, so help me see this. You said without Sharia law, you can't have truth. I, I said without a law, you cannot have truth. Without a law, you cannot have truth. And why is that? It's just self-evident. What do you mean? Why is that? Well, listen, I'm not a Muslim, so you're going to have to make your case a little more, more clear for me because Allah is a monadic God. Can you explain to me how a monadic or Unitarian God who's not Trinitarian can reveal truth outside of himself, can create other minds, can love, can have any kind of sense of justice that is, that is not completely arbitrary? How does that work? Because this is very simple. Allah has infinite knowledge and infinite being as well as infinite power. Yeah. Right? All things can be done through him. So to say that there's some type of limitation that your mind has brought upon him is just absurd. I don't, we can't even comprehend infinity. So to try to put some limitation on what he can or cannot do is an absurd statement. So, well, well, there. Uh, okay. So uh, again, can you maybe just address what I just said though? How does a, a monadic God, meaning a non-Trinitarian God, a non-Triune God, how does that God, uh, can that God love without creating? Can that God love without creating? Correct. What does that even mean? Well, what I mean is any love before, before created? God created the hypothetically created the cosmos, the world is, did your God love? Was he capable of love? I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? What does your Quran say? Your Quran is the it basis. Doesn't, it doesn't speak. Of, I'll have to look into it, but how is this relevant to the topic of Sharia law? Oh, it's incredibly how is this, relevant. How is this relevant? It's incredibly relevant because we're trying to figure out if your God is the basis for truth or not. And would you say that love is a real thing? Yeah, but like, dude, let's just be honest. When we look at the stats, when we look at the stats, uh, Sharia law just does better in every single statistic. You're making a pragmatic argument. Um, you'd have to back that up. But right now we're talking about the existence of love. We're talking about, and we can also talk about justice and fairness. Can a Unitarian or monadic God prior to creation have a sense of justice and fairness? Is that a meaningful concept when there is just one entity existing and no interpersonal relationships going on? Or does a God like that need to create 
in order for justice and fairness and love to come into being. Dude, this is obviously necessary for a society. This is obviously like Trinitarian, pretty good dogma, right? I'm explaining to you why it's just dogmatic and like this just this is just absurd. Right? You don't need these things in order to have these things, right? You're saying, how could a Unitarian being have the concept of love? Do you think you can't love yourself or have a view of what love is before you created what you created? This is just obvious, bro. Who did Allah love before he created? His future creation. Okay, so he's reliant on his future creation in order to be loving. Is that correct? Not necessarily. He's not relying on anything. But that's one thing he loves. Except for love, though, right? That's what you just said. You can love yourself. What are you talking about? Well, you said he loved his future creation. When I asked you who he loved, you said his future creation, which he hadn't created. Yeah, that's yet. one thing. That's one thing he can love. Okay, so so Allah loves himself. So he's self. His love is self-centered. You could say, or self-focused. And but for to have any kind of interpersonal love, that's not just self-reflexive. He is reliant on his creation. Correct? No, he's not relying on anything. What are you not understanding? Love is uh, reserved for those who obey God. Right. I'm not seeing how you're not understanding. All right, so let's keep things somewhat focused on the issue at hand, which is, should America be a Christian nation? So would you agree with me that fairness and love and community, these are things that are important to a, a nation? Would you agree with that or no? Yeah, and according to Allah, yes, these things would be. Okay, and where is that? What Allah views just and what Allah views as love, these would be the correct things to follow. Okay, okay, so th- thank you. So. So are Allah's judgments in these things, are they arbitrary or are they absolute? No, they're absolute. Okay. So are, are, is creation absolute or could Allah not have created? I mean, does creation exist necessarily in and of itself? I'm supposed to know these questions, bro. You're yeah. asking me questions that like, like, how am I supposed to know? Dude, I already explained to you how Allah is infinite. Like you can't comprehend. Could Allah bro. have chosen not to create? Bro, I don't know. What the? Uh, okay. How am I supposed to know these things? Well, you told me that your Quran is the foundation for truth. So I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to figure out what your Quran actually teaches. Because I can tell you what the Bible but teaches. How is this relevant well, you know? to the conversation at hand if America should be under Christian law or Sharia? You're saying that our nation should be under Sharia law, which is supposedly the word of a God who, by your own admission, could not love until he had creation. Oh, I said, that's a misinterpretation of what I said. No, could not. Sorry, you're right. Could not love interpersonally unless he had creation. And would it would have had no sense of interpersonal justice or fairness without his creation. So why would he need that if he was infinitely knowing? Well, real quick. So infinitely knowing what's going to happen in the future is different than having an absolute standard of love and justice, which is what you said that Allah had, unless I misunderstood you. And I certainly hope I didn't. This is obvious. Yeah. Wait. Okay. So what the, I think the problem here. So, is... so real quick, if we're comparing gods, my God loves absolutely. In fact, my Bible says that he is God. My God is just. He is righteousness. Why? Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been eternally coexisting forever in perfect communion, circumcision. Wait, are they not the same person? No, they are not the same person. That's a common Muslim misunderstanding of Trinitarian doctrine. They are so not what you're the saying same is there's three different persons? That's correct. But not so one plus one equals what? One person plus one person plus one person equals three persons one yeah. god three yeah. persons one god yeah. three persons so what you're saying and, is you're a polytheist right 
No, that's another common misconception. And I, was a common I, really misconception. Wish, I really wish that more Muslims would study Christian theology because we have this conversation over and over. And I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. And, and I understand you can't spend all your time studying my theology any more than I can spend studying yours. That's why conversations like this are very important. But a lot of times Muslims will think that they've, it's a gotcha when they tell Christians. That I mean, gotcha, it's, just a, it's just an obvious question. And yes, but it's not an obvious it's not an obvious like answer that we're polytheists. We're not polytheists. We believe in one God. So there's one God who eternally exists in three persons. Now, what I'm telling you is that that God is a much stronger basis for love and interpersonal justice and morality and for the existence of unity and diversity in the world. Your God cannot account for the equal ultimacy of unity and diversity because your God is only unity. And really unity is only is the wrong word because he's a monad. He's not a unity. He is a monad. He is purely and essentially only one. A God like that cannot ground diversity. Now, if we're talking about why not? Because that because diversity is not intrinsic to his nature. Wait, but but where's the contradiction in him arising these things and as well as being Unitarian and not Trinitarian? Well, because that's a great question. That's a very fair question. Because diversity, which is so intrinsic to the world, is not intrinsic to God. For that to be a meaningful concept to God, he has to, your God, Allah, not my, not the true God, not my God, no offense, that your God has to create in order for diversity to be a meaningful thing. Now, what that means is diversity, otherness, individuality will always be a subordinate truth, a subordinate essence to unity. Now, what does that lead to? That leads to a creation in which diversity is not as important as unity, as conformity, where the individual is never going to be as important as the collective. We've seen nations where the rights of the individual are subordinated to the collective, as opposed to keeping a healthy balance between the individual and the collective. It's a surefire way to get to tyranny. Now, according to your God and your worldview, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is that's not the best course for the United States of America. A Trinitarian Christian way in which unity and diversity are perfectly balanced and equally essential and equally ultimate is a much better way to go. Okay, so let's just be honest here. Let's just be honest. This isn't addressing any of the claims made by me, bro. I think I'm addressing all your claims. Now, listen. The claim is Sharia law is better than your law, right? And all you've done is claim that there's a contradiction within Unitarianism, which is not blatant at all, and and there's been no good reasoning given, right? So I don't think anyone in here is, like, understanding what you're putting down, like, just being honest. Like, you just talked for, like, two minutes, and I don't think anyone understood you, bro. Okay. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that. God bless you, man. All right, now we get into a question about force. How much force would Christians like you and me be able to use in order to force compliance in a Christian society? Well, right off the bat, I think you can tell that this represents a way of thinking that is actually foreign to what I'm advocating for in terms of a Christian nation. You'll see that in my answer, and hopefully that'll make sense. As a Christian nationalist myself, for those who do not wish to comply with our system, what extent of force are we allowed to use on the basis of the Bible to make them comply? Unquote. That's a great question. And this is one of those things. This is a secondary question. And the reason why I say it's secondary is because the primary question is, what should be our standard for determining that? Now, as Christians, 
our standard must be the Word of God, the written Word of God as revealed in Scripture, Old and New Testament, emphasis on the new centered in Jesus Christ. So what amount of force? Well, that's really going to depend, isn't it? What amount of force does our government currently use? And the craziest thing, when people think about America as a Christian nation, they immediately start to think of tyranny. And I'll be honest, my mind goes there as well, because I think of all the people who could misapply Christian theology. All right, but when you think about the amount of coercion that happens in our nation right now, uh, what happens if you don't pay your taxes? Or, which, look, I'm not going to turn this into a debate about uh, libertarian politics or uh, constitutional party or Democrats, Republicans, or anything like that, any kind of policy issues. But the level that we are taxed at currently would have made the most diehard old covenant Jewish tax collector blush. It's insane how much we are taxed today. And if you don't pay, what happens? You go to jail. So the, our state today is way beyond the bounds of a biblically mandated scope and boundary for how far the state can go in terms of taxation, in terms of any number of things. You know, how many government employees lost their position because they didn't want to take the shot last year and, and even still to this day. That's not the kind of thing that happens under a Christian, uh, under a, a Christian nation, a Christian system. So one thing that I think that people would be surprised to discover is in a truly Christian nation, just how much freedom, how much increased freedom they have. Now, what would be, you know, what would be some other principles that we would draw? Like, for example, you know, rape. What would be the punishment for rape? How much force could there be? One, well, biblically speaking, rape, at least under the old covenant law, rape is a death penalty. But in the new covenant, I will say, this is a, the question of civil penalties is very much an open question. The, what is not open is where do we go for our source, for our foundation, and that's scripture. And then there was another point I wanted to make about this. And that is, oh, yes, I want to address something you said in your question. How much force could we use? Unless you are a civil magistrate, the answer is probably zero. Unless someone is infringing upon, like if someone's breaking into your house or attacking your person or assaulting your family, or shall we say attacking an innocent person and you have the opportunity to intervene, you should absolutely intervene if you can. But this isn't the kind of thing where we Christians are all going to get out there as a big tribe or a gang and start imposing Christianity on people. What we're talking about is how is Christianity spread? How does Christianity take over a nation? Not by force. Christianity is an inside-out religion. It works its way through a nation like yeast working its way through the dough. It's what the Bible teaches. So the way that we spread our message is through evangelism is through discipleship, is through baptisms, not forced. You can't force a baptism. I mean, you could, but we call that assault. So, so that's how we spread Christianity. Now, if you're in government, if, you are, if you're one of the civil magistrates, then yeah, you're working to enact laws which are in line with biblical principles. But there's not this idea that we get to go around, nor should we ever want to go around, you know, imposing force on people who, who disagree with us. The very idea of freedom of conscience is a Christian principle because Christianity is something that you enter into freely. So just wanted to point that out. This next challenger proposes that we would be better off if we all subordinated all of our religious beliefs to the state. 
And he thinks that the state should be held higher than any God, any religious viewpoint, thus making the state equal to God. Okay, I'm sorry, but I am going to be coming at you as a Catholic on this one, but mostly an American. Okay. I do have to disagree, mostly, because on, you know, there is that famous Bible quote that people do bring up in this kind of kind of conversation where the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God are separate. And I believe that is for a good reason. Which verse is that? I don't remember exactly the verse. I just know it's more of a... When it comes to the Bible, I've gone through, I've been raised by Roman Catholics and Presbyterians and even Lutherans. So when it comes to the Bible quotes, I get kind of confused. I don't remember. That's okay. Um, And it's important. Like, we got to remember that we are people and what laws God might say is important might not be important to us catholic law is not as appreciative to a muslim or a jew or someone who's buddhist or hinduist so running a country off of that off of a catholic law wouldn't would it just be you know bad you know we would choose sorry could it be wrong Would it be wrong to do that? I would believe so, yes. It would be wrong because we're basically saying to the world, we are a Catholic nation, and we're not, and we're not, you know, being anywhere near, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Creating to other religions. What what would you You propose? Well, a secular country. We are. America. We might have been found on rules that have connections to Catholicism or connections to many religions, but we are secular. secular? What does that mean, secular? Well, we shall put no god or gods above our country. We shall follow none. Okay, so the country is the highest. That country is higher than all gods. Correct. Because I am going to be coming at you now with a little bit of nationalism in me. uh, That. It's, we are Americans. We shall, you know, bow to no king and prostrate ourselves to no God. We are Americans. We're an exceptional in that regards. Real quick, you, I just want to make clear what's going on, if I understand you correctly. I'm saying that our nation's culture and laws and society would be better if it were rooted in biblical principles, because God is Lord. You're saying that, no, that's wrong. There is no higher authority than our nation, than the state. And you want to impose that view on me. My question is, why should I go along with your system? By what well, that's, standard? The, that's the best part. You're, well, it is true that we are, you know, should follow the state. The state has given us rules and liberties to follow. Hey, well, you if said you don't. Follow the state. Says who? Well, that is just the law, and laws are provided to you by the are given to you by the state. You know. What if the state says everyone must worship Jesus Christ? What then? And then it would be through the democratic process. But we are also secular, and you know, okay, yes. But you just said the definition of a secular state is that the state is the highest authority. I'm saying, what if the state says everyone must worship Jesus Christ? You're in kind of a pickle there, aren't you? 
Well, yes, I would be, but we have rules that state that we are still a secular nation. Right, but if those rules it, change yes. and they say everyone must worship Jesus Christ, now you're obligated to, to do so and to impose that on others, correct? No, because I'm still an American. At that point, we'd be giving, us, giving up what it means to be an American. There's a higher authority we, than the state. Is, well, let's be honest. It does say the state is by the people. So if the people state it, then yes, but then I wouldn't be calling us Americans. We would be going against what we hold as values to our country. If all the people we get are, together and they vote and they say we are Americans and all Americans must worship Jesus Christ under penalty of death. Now, that's not what I'm advocating for. This is where your worldview leads, though. If the state is the highest authority and the majority rules and the will of the people is the law of the land, period, and there is no higher authority to which we adhere, then by your own definition, we must impose Christianity under penalty of death. That's not what I'm advocating for. That's where your worldview leads. Do you see the problem with that? Yes, and this is where you could take my arguments to their logical conclusions. I do agree. You must. But we have to, but... Someone's going to take your view to its logical conclusions. Yes, you're correct. Someone who's a lot worse than I am, but is also abusing... Because we also have the freedom of speech, which is above the freedom of religion. It is tantamount to the, that, that we do not force people. Remember, a religion is a form of speech in their own right. It's a form of identity. You saying yeah. you're a Catholic or a B- Buddhist would be your speech. You're, no, oh. you're like, I'm coming out as a Buddhist. Therefore, if we impose those laws on someone, we would then be imposing, we would be breaking one of the first amendments of our country. Right, I know, sorry. what you're trying to say is if, some, if we voted and all that, but well, that's, that's why we that's have where you're really, I'm not, I want you to understand what I'm attempting to do is I'm trying to kind of hold up a mirror to what you're advocating for and showing you that that way leads to tyranny. What I'm saying is that we ought to have freedom of conscience. Absolutely. We ought to have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of worship. Absolutely. There's a reason why we have freedom of worship in this country. It's because of Baptists. Baptists didn't want to be persecuted by Presbyterians and Anglicans. So they made sure that we had freedom of religion. That's a Christian principle. So for you to say that there is no higher authority than the state, I want to say this very respectfully. That is the kind of thinking that gets you Pol Pot, Mao, Hitler, and Stalin. That is a sure recipe. You're about five minutes away from absolute tyranny at that point. And not only that, but you're talking about radical, arbitrary laws that will swing from one end of the pendulum to the other every time there's a national election. Nothing and I mean this so respectfully, you have to hear me on that. Every single presidential election, the party that comes into power could annihilate the other party or could at least seek to, and you would have no leg to stand on because the will of the people is the law of the land. As long as they enshrine it into the law, they can do away with the Constitution, they can do away with all of our rights, and they can say the party rules. Well, that is exactly what you have in communist China today, pretty darn close to it. So what I'm saying is that a much better way to go is what I think I hear you saying anyway, which is that we ought not to impose our views on people, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. These are inherent rights that come, that are ours absolutely. They are not granted by government. They transcend government. They're higher than government. I agree with you. I'm just saying that's a Christian principle and you ought to be consistent and just call it what it is and submit yourself to Jesus Christ in all of his authority. I think you'll have an easier time. I do. Well, then you're kind of taking more of my words Quite literally, we do live in that state. Right now, 
two parties in this country are constantly fighting in which way they want to bring the direction. But they're not killing Every, you. Like I not said. yet. But Let's be honest. When it comes, good. but well, yeah. Well, you see, see how politically divided we are as a people. But under my system, they couldn't. And well, by my system, I mean Christianity. It's not. I didn't. Well, come let's up with be it. honest, though. When it comes to the Catholics in this country, you are the minority in that. You're a Christian, not Catholic. Right now, it's the Catholics who have the biggest voice when they come to that. So when you talk about bringing in a Christian or a nation under God, you'd have to go up against a very powerful voting bloc who has a lot more words and a lot more reach with their words. So you're saying that it pragmatically it might not happen. That's actually not up for debate today. The question is, should it happen? Yeah, so I hear what you're saying, but that's actually not what we're debating. I will, yes, and I will say that it shouldn't still happen. We are a secular nation. We don't have a God we follow. We let all religions exist equally in our country and have a voice, but not uh, to impose their will on others. Is, and, and so, uh, again, you're attempting to impose your will upon the entire nation. Like, I just wanted to make that very clear. You're, you've got a view, and you're attempting to impose that on the nation. And look, you're entitled to say that, but the question is, why should we listen to you instead of to God, instead of to the Bible? And so far, all I've heard is, well, that, that's just the way things are. We're a secular state. Well, what I'm saying is we shouldn't be. We should be a Christian state. And re again, respectfully, no offense, but all I hear you saying is, well, that's just not the way things should be. You're entitled to your opinion. Absolutely. I'm a Christian. I think you're entitled to that. But, I, you know, again, we may just have to agree to disagree. I, I encourage you to go back and think a little bit more about where your view actually leads to. Is that fair? Yes, I know exactly where my views lead to. I was okay. massively in the alt-right. I'm still pretty nationalistic, but I have more liberal views now. But, but yes, we are going to disagree with this. Your views are rooted in your faith. My views are rooted in the belief what of what America is. So mine are and, rooted in faith, yours are rooted in belief. The belief is another word for faith. We just have two different faiths, my friend. And what I would I encourage you say, to do is... I, I should say less belief and more dogma. Well, more not dogma either. <laughs> What, it's unavoidable, what, man. You've got a worldview, I've got yeah. a worldview. Just own it. It's okay. Correct. Just own it. You've got a worldview, I've got a worldview. The question, is your worldview from God or is it from yourself? Now, the Bible talks about those who want to be self-governed, and no offense, but the Bible calls you fools. And every time that I act that way, it's the same thing. I am, I'm acting like a fool. So God has a lot to say to people who want to be self-governed or autonomous. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what the Bible says. There is an alternative to foolishness, though. The alternative is submitting to God, fearing God with a healthy respect and worship. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I encourage you to go find out what that means, and my hope is that you would bow the knee to Jesus Christ and become a Christian like me. Well, like I said, I am, yeah, like I said, I am a Christian, but yes, I agree. When it comes to our two worldviews, they're, you know, I think they're, different. they're, yeah, they're too different. They're like the left and the right their the views are too different so well, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to end it there but yeah. I, it's been great talking with you thank you you too bye-bye the following challenger challenges the idea that christianity is fair and what he says is that the teachings of christianity specifically the doctrine of hell actually make christianity unfair and therefore not a good foundation upon which to build a society or a nation I noticed that you, um, sorry, 
that you were saying that we should base it off of Christianity, Christianity because it is true and it is fair. And I highly disagree with that, saying that uh, for one, like, uh, say for example, Mr. Beast, right, committed a life of all goodness, not never committed a sin, and on his deathbed, like, right, he go, he deserves to go to hell for all of eternity. That is not fair. Okay, so what's your argument? Christianity is not good or not fair or what? Christianity is not fair, nor is it real. Okay, I see. So help me, when you say fair, what do you mean by fair? Like, what's your standard for judging fair? Fair? Well, yeah. not, so fairness, I mean, a just punishment for any, you know, crime committed. Sorry, just in a second, I'm on mute because my, my mom just got home, but... My like something that's just okay, just for the actions that have been committed, not eternal punishment in the worst place ever hmm. created. Just by what standard? Just by what standard? Yeah, I don't really know what you mean. Like, like, what is the standard of justice? Is it what you want? Is it what I want? Is it what God wants? What is the fair. standard of justice? What if you and I disagree on what's fair? What if I say, yeah, uh, one sin is totally, f hell is a totally appropriate punishment for one sin that is committed against an almighty, perfectly holy, totally righteous God. And I say, yes, I completely agree with the Bible. One sin is absolutely enough. So now me, I've got millions of sins, but let's say you only had one sin. I think that you and I ought to go to the same place. You clearly disagree. Why? On what basis? Why? Yeah. Well, is it just your yeah. feelings or is it is this rooted in something else? It's just rooted in what's right. I mean, it, 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 it kind of comes back, to, sorry, but it kind of goes back to like, why, why, sorry, why you believe that America should, sorry, it's my first time doing anything like this. No, um, it, it's no problem, man. It's all right. But yeah, no, like, so something like, like a religion, right? So I believe that America should be an atheist state. And, you know, Christians can do all their Christian stuff, Catholics can do all their Catholic stuff, Muslims can do all their Muslim stuff, and atheists what can if, do all their atheist stuff. What if someone wants to take over the country and impose their views on everyone? Is that wrong? We have the Second Amendment, and that would uh, stop anyone from doing that. We have a pretty good anti-dictatorship. I agree. I think the, Christian, the Christians who drafted that were brilliant. My question is, what if they abolish the Constitution? What then? Is it wrong? Is it wrong? Yeah. Yeah, would it be wrong to do that? Why? Why? Yeah, what's your standard? Because it gets rid of our basic freedoms and rights, but I mean... Where do those rights come from? Whatever our rights come from, our constitution. But not if the constitution is gone. I'm kind of confused what you're... All right, so here's what I'm getting at. If the rights come from the constitution, that's another way of saying that the rights come from George Washington and the framers. Otherwise, you could say, well, no, the rights... Because I got news for you, as you know, the founding fathers are all dead. Well, so yeah. they're not around anymore. Okay. And they didn't think that the rights came from themselves. They recognized those rights as coming from Almighty God. They were operating on Christian principles, even if they themselves but weren't Christian. The, the Founding Fathers were a big group of people. Yeah. Uh, well, not, but like, there were some Protestants, there were some Catholics, there were some Christians, there were some atheists. I don't Catholics, but there were definitely different forms of Protestants and some deists. But, and you said that, like, was it Irish Protestants were, like, the cause of, like, bad things in Ireland? Oh, I said and, the Druids, not the Protestants, the Druids. My bad. Yeah, no, that's okay. And I was talking about pre-Christian yeah. times. And you could also talk about as well, like how America as an atheist state has prospered so much and has spread the free world without... Well, America's never been an atheist state, thank God. And why would, what would be wrong with an atheist, an atheist state?
Well, go back and look at 20th century history. I don't know if you're much of a history buff, but Adolf Hitler and yeah. Stalin and Lenin and Marx. That's an authoritarian atheist state, though. A free atheist state would mean that everyone can, I mean, maybe not atheist, but just a non-religious state. Like religion is not even part of the state at all. Okay, so every worldview is based, I'm sorry, every government is centered in a worldview. What worldview would that be? And what's the ultimate authority in that worldview? This really comes back to the question of standards and authority. And really, Milker, if you and I disagree, mm-hmm. and we're both running for office or whatever, Yeah. My, my question is, I really want you to think about this. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I truly hope you think about it, because I think it's really important. The question is, what is your standard for right and wrong? Is it just what you want, what you feel like? Because, man, I feel different ways 100 times a day. Yeah. Sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I'm happy. I went to, I, I'm going to my friend's funeral tomorrow. I'm going to be incredibly sad. What I want at that time is going to be different than what I want maybe right now or what I want a week from now. Mm-hmm. So my, my question is, your view of government and nations just based on what you feel at any given particular time? And then what you feel, why should I follow that? It's not based off of feelings, it's based off of knowledge and like, if it, it, like, because, you know, religion, for example, is not actually, you, you know, based in facts, for example, how like it denies, how it denies evolution. Evolution's a dead theory. And anyway, they're, they're a Christian evolutionist anyway. I think they're dead wrong, but evolution is a dead theory. Evolution is not a, a basis for knowledge unless you think that your mind is evolved upon scum. And then why would you trust any of your beliefs? Charles Darwin had major trouble with that. Well, why can't evolution be true? I mean, there's a lot of facts and also too, like was Okay, you're an atheist, right? Yes. Okay, so so there's a major problem with you being an atheist and an evolutionist. Uh-huh. Because in according to evolutionary theory, Darwinian theory or neo-Darwinian theory, the only reason you have any attributes at all is because those are evolved with a survival advantage. Truth has nothing to do with it. So all of your what you believe to be your mind and your truths uh, your truth-seeking faculties, those aren't actually aimed at truth. In fact, the concept of truth really is a meaning, meaningless concept. The faculties that you have, your five senses, your reason, your intuition, those are all aimed only at survival. So whatever you believe, according to Darwinian theory, if it aids survival, then you'll pass it on to your offspring, should you have any. But the idea of truth is completely irrelevant. So what that means is you now have an, what's called an undercutting defeater for all your beliefs. You have a reason not to trust all of your beliefs because they were produced by a mind that is not aimed at truth necessarily, unless it's purely by accident. So what that means is your belief that there is no God and your belief in evolution have a defeater. You actually have no good reason for believing either of those things because you believe those things. So it's a self-defeating worldview, and I would encourage you to give it up and to embrace the much more solid worldview of biblical Christianity. And rather than live in opposition to God, I would encourage you to submit to God and to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and came back to life. That is a historical fact that is the basis of Christianity. All right, but okay. I have other points I could bring up, but I think it'd be good if other people had to say, especially Good talking with you, Milker. Good, Good talking with you, too. The following question is really interesting. It starts out by referring to this document that was signed by this joint coalition of Roman Catholics and Lutherans, and it springboards from that into a discussion about the various Christian denominations out there. After all, if we're going to have a Christian nation, 
there are many different flavors of Christianity. Which one should win out or how do we reconcile all the different denominations and groups that call themselves Christians? And so the answer that I propose, well, you'll see what it is. This user wants to know what you think of the joint declaration of, on the doctrine of justification. Do you know what that is? I had to look it up. Let's see. Oh, yeah, I think so. Is that the joint statement from Catholics and Protestants? All right. Yeah, I'm tangentially aware of that. And I've seen, I've looked into it somewhat. Let's say that. And that was, it's been a few years now since I've looked into it. Look, in order for the Roman church to get on board with a truly Protestant, truly, I would say biblical definition of justification, the Roman church would have to repudiate the Council of Trent because there are canons of the Council of Trent, in other words, official statements of the Council of Trent that literally anathematize the biblical gospel. And that's a hard thing for Roman Catholics to hear, but it's just a fact. The doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone, and in which works play no part, has been anathematized by Rome. Now, the problem for Rome is that Rome can't backtrack and nullify its own statements because that would undercut its supposed supreme authority so, and, our, and its status as arbiter of truth. So what does Rome do? It comes out with this joint statement with a bunch of Lutherans, which uses very similar language. If you ask me, now it's been a few years and I might be wrong in what I remember, but my understanding of that document is that there is some equivocation, meaning people are using the same words, but they have different meanings for them. What I would love to see, so look, insofar as that, that joint declaration affirms scripture and the intent of the signers is to affirm what scripture teaches, what it actually teaches, hey, that's great. I mean, that, wonderful, you know. But what I would love to see would be Rome to officially side with St. Paul, who anathematized false gospels in Galatians, and renounce and repudiate the Council of Trent. And now what that would mean with they would have to be essentially become Protestant and adopt the five solos of the Reformation. I don't see that happening. But you know, an interesting thing that does happen all the time is that Roman Catholics become Christians and they repent and they trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And they end up joining a Protestant church. And I'm very happy to see that when that does happen, because, you know, that's like a little mini Reformation all over again. So th those are my thoughts. The person who asked the question now gets into the conversation himself and clarifies what he meant. So I wasn't really asking a theological question as much as a social question, because you were saying that the concern at hand is America being a Christian country in general. So the matter of the JDDJ is that it's been accepted by every denomination, whether it's Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Reformed, Anglican, or what have you. So if you're going to say we should be a Christian country in general, then you would have to reconcile all the de denominations, right? Well, first of all, I, I'm not aware that anyone other than, yes, I'm looking at the declaration right now. It says by the Lutheran World Federation and the Catholic Church. So that, I'm not aware of any reformed churches. Which reformed churches have accepted this? Well, I'm guessing you're looking at the article. And if you scroll down, you'll see in 2017, the um, communion of reformed churches uh, accepted it. 
it was okay. accepted strictly by Catholics and Lutherans when it was originally drafted, but eventually it was later accepted by the Reformed. Okay, so I'm looking at Lutheranworld.org. I might be looking at something different from yours. Okay, okay. okay so, so what's your point or big concern idea? is? You said that it's simply that America should be Christian in general, but like you said in the beginning, there's different, you know, statements. There's different positions on the different denominations. We have disagreements. So the classic one here being the matter of good works versus you know salvation by faith and grace alone. So how would you reconcile those disagreements among denominations? Yeah, I see. Great question. Well, as I understand biblical Christianity, it does teach salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And that's the stance of Jesus of Nazareth, and that's the stance of the Apostle Paul. It's the stance of James. It's all throughout Scripture. So, And it's, by the way, it's the stance of the Old Testament prophets as well. Habakkuk comes to mind. So. Since that is true biblical teaching, I wouldn't ever endorse a quote-unquote Christian nation or principles to govern or undergird a Christian nation that were based on anything other than that. So this really gets down to the question of, you know, is every group that claims to be Christian actually Christian? Right. Well, I would say no. And you might say, well, what, by what authority do you have? And I would say, right. well, by the authority of God's word. So again, I said this earlier, I don't know if you were here, but I said, my opinion means jack squat. I want to know what God has said in his word. And so sola fide, sola, solus Christus, and sola gratia, these are principles taught in scripture. The reformers didn't come up with these things because they wanted to break away from Rome. They derived them from the Bible. So, and it just so happened that they disagreed with Rome. So I would love for the Roman church to get on board, like actually on board with biblical Christianity. But, but, you know, there is a good reason why for the first few hundred years of America, there was a lot of wariness with regard to Roman Catholicism. It's because it was recognized as a different religion. So, so I, I didn't really want to get into the historical matter of that, but let's just say we're talking about non-denominational evangelicals and how they have different interpretations of scripture, right? Yeah. The question then becomes a matter of how do you determine the correct interpretation when figuring out what the word of God really is? Yeah. That's a great question. I brought that up in my opening statement. I don't know if you heard it, but I said it's a, it, that would be a process. And, you know, part of it would depend on who gets elected. Look, there are people, there are strong Christian nationalists who would probably do a great job governing, but they, but I did, but they would probably enact things like blue laws, which are Sabbath laws and where you can't work on Sunday. Look, I don't happen to believe that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. So I would have a major problem with that. Deeply Sunday okay? is. Well, I don't think there is a Christian Sabbath. I think Jesus is our Christian Sabbath. So sa Saturday is the Sabbath by definition. I just don't think that it's changed to Sunday. I don't think you can change God's law like that. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation. I'm just using that as an example of something that, you know, that would be something that I would disagree with other Christians who, you know, want to see America be a Christian nation. So when you say you know, elected, are you talking about theologically elected by God or are you just talking about the democratic process? The Republican process of electing representatives. So what if we have people who are just egregiously, you know, heretical and they get elected and then they interpret the scripture however they want? Oh, yeah, good question. Well, this is why there's a system of checks and balances and this is why there is a, you know, something like a constitution and a law that is higher than an individual. So I'm certainly not arguing for any kind of absolute monarchy or totalitarian state where one guy could come in and, you know, and usurp everything. Now, let's say you might pose the hypothetical, well, let's say everybody in the government becomes a heretic and they all oppress us. Uh -oh. Well, at that point, you know, we, I'd probably be calling for us to return to becoming a Christian nation again. 
All right, now that same individual asks about the principles that undergird a constitutional republic and whether or not those principles are actually Christian principles to begin with. If you believe that it's the constitutional checks and balances which define the interpretation, I'm not sure I would really say that you're saying we should be a Christian nation anymore. You're just saying we should be a constitutional republic. Well, okay, that's a fair point. Why do you think that? Do you think that the system of checks and balances is not a Christian principle somehow? We're talking about the interpretation of Scripture. So, I mean, are you saying that people would have to interpret Scripture necessarily in a constitutional way? I mean, I'm not sure I would say it's automatically reciprocal. Okay, so as I understood your question, and maybe I got it wrong, but your question was, what happens if you get one guy in there who's a heretic and he interprets Scripture all crazily and he enacts all these lunatic laws? My response to that would be that there would be a form of checks and balances. I mean, I'm not really advocating for anything other than what we actually have, although I'd like to see Christian uh, Christianity and Christian language more explicit in the Constitution. But I'm not really advocating for anything other than what we have, which is a trifold system of checks and balances. And, or I should say what was originally drafted, because there have been some changes, like the direct election of senators and that sort of thing. Okay. But so, yeah, I, so, I think that's where that would come in. So, okay, I don't want to push you too hard, because this could get really deep, but can you show where separation of powers between executive, legislative, and judicial branches exists in Scripture? Because I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, that, that's a great question. So there's this book called Vindicia Contra Tyrannus by um, a guy who wrote under the pseudonym of Junius Brutus. I highly recommend that he makes an excellent case historically, going back to biblical times, for what is essentially, you know, previously expressed as a constitutional monarchy, but is literally a system of a division of powers between at least the legislative branch and the executive branch. In the past, that would be a king, hence the name constitutional monarchy. But what we have today or I should say what was drafted in 1776 and 17, or 1789 rather, is very much rooted in Christian principles. Take the doctrine of total depravity. No one man, as to quote the philosopher, no one man should have all that power. Kanye West. So we, we rightfully separate powers because we believe in depravity, in sin, in total depravity. I wouldn't want to make you an absolute monarch and you wouldn't want to make me an absolute monarch. I might have a bad day. This is why we have separation of powers. And this is why, inevitably, atheistic systems tend towards an absolute tyranny. So you really, your options are separation of powers, or else absolute tyrannical totalitarianism, or on the other hand, just some sort of anarchic tribalism, which arguably is not much better. Okay, so this actually does bring us back to the original question, the JDDJ, because I would agree with you if you're trying to say the original intent of the country was to be reformed. I mean, if we look at the signers of the Declaration of Independence, they're predominantly reformed. Yeah. But the problem there being all Christians don't believe in total depravity, you know, the matter of whether or not you accept grace into your life or God, you know, gives you grace is a matter of dispute. But I would also say that what you were saying before about the inspiration of the country I would probably say the country was inspired by Jeroboam's revolt, and I don't even know if many Christians would even know what Jeroboam's revolt was. The idea of having that understanding of the judges and, you know, how it was supposed to give birth to the Sanhedrin and then what you're saying about the constitutional monarchy. I mean, I don't even know if the spirit of the law when it comes to the American Constitution would identify with that today. Yeah, well, I, that, that's an interesting point. But uh, nevertheless, if it does go back to Jeroboam's revolt, that's certainly a scriptural 
narrative. So yeah, right. I'm, I, I guess I'm okay with that. Yeah. I don't know. I have to look into it a little bit more, perhaps. Yeah. All right. I think we're good here. Thanks a lot. Okay, cool. Thanks. All right. Let's look back at where we've been. We've talked about what a Christian nation is and what it isn't. A Christian nation is one in which there are various interconnected but separately sovereign spheres of authority. These are the civil government, the church or religion, the family, and the sovereign individual. And all of these spheres self-consciously draw their legitimacy and their governing principles and their ongoing relevance, so they adapt with the times, but they draw all these things from the unchanging principles found in the Bible. That's the Old and New Testaments with an emphasis on the New Testament all centered in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not spread by force, it is spread through evangelism. Now, the first settlers of America formed a Christian nation because they were Christians. They had been evangelized. And I don't expect that America would become a Christian nation again without evangelism. Now, that's up to the Lord, of course, but he has entrusted us to get the word out, the word of the gospel. And that's one reason that I get on Discord and have debates like this. And that's one of the reasons I publish them as podcast episodes to help equip you to have similar conversations in the different spheres of your own life, whether at home, at work, in your local area. Now, in this debate, we discussed whether America used to be Christian and why Christianity is responsible for the great civilizational advancements and moral teachings of history. We also talked about Islam versus Christianity and why Sharia law would be a subpar alternative primarily because of the nature of Islam's God. We discussed how everyday Christians would not use force to compel people to be Christian, and we talked about how it would admittedly pose a challenge to unify all the various Christian denominations, although it wouldn't be an impossible challenge because God has given us the Bible, and the Bible would need to be the ultimate standard. Now, you heard me address how putting the state as supreme or forming an atheistic nation would lead to tyranny, and I briefly discussed how the Bible provides the principles for a constitutional republic. I truly hope this was helpful. And what I hope you can see is that what we're not talking about is a theocracy where there's a priestly class who runs the government. We're talking about the Bible being the touchstone, but the church and the civil government are two separate spheres of governance with their own authorities and their own realms. Now, if you have thoughts on this, please let me know. And one way to get in touch with me is by joining our free community. This is the group that is designed to help you on your journey towards becoming the worldview leader that your family and your church needs. You can get access to exclusive resources and communicate with others who are on the same journey. It's really a very cool community and it really helps to facilitate that transformation that we're all seeking and by God's grace, pursuing. So join the Think Squad group. Here's how. Open up Facebook and search for Think Squad, T-H-I-N-K-S-Q-U-A-D. Answer the short membership questions. That's all it takes. So thank you for listening to Worldview Legacy. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedekes, and is a production of the Think Institute. We equip believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message, and we are based by God's grace.